This morning, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read God's Word on, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you're in a book, a a Bible, a physical Bible, what I want you to do if you're not familiar with where Matthew is located is go to the table of contents. You'll find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections. There's the Old and New Testaments. Now, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so find the New Testament, Find the first book, which is Matthew, turn to that page, and then flip through until you get to chapter 7. Now, if you're in an app, uh, what I would ask you to do is pull up the list of books of the Bible. Matthew is located about uh, two-thirds or three-quarters away uh, down that list. Uh, So locate Matthew and flip over uh, in your app to Matthew chapter 7. Now, my son, I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old son named Declan, and Declan absolutely loves to read books with mom and dad. He loves to be read to. He, he loves to interact with us as we read. And he has this book called Wacky Wednesday. It's this very odd book. And it's basically one of those books where uh, as you flip through the pages and look at the pictures, there are things wrong with each of the pictures. And it asks you, asks you, what's wrong with this picture? There are three things wrong here. What's wrong? And it could be something like a shoe is on the ceiling or there's a water hose going across the lawn but there's a big section missing from it yet the uh, sprinkler at the end of the hose is working you know it's it's little things like that and if you ever seen one of those pictures maybe you've seen them in the newspaper or in a book or on social media where it asks what's wrong with this picture you know, it, it may be something that's really hard to find. It may be something that's really obvious and easy, but it's one of those things that you look at and you go, oh yeah, that's not correct. That's wrong. That's, that's not the way the world works or the way this picture should be set up or drawn or taken because that can't be right. And, and Jesus today addresses that very issue. He addresses today what it means to be a follower of him. Have you ever wondered or thought to yourself, what am I doing right for Jesus? Or maybe flip the the coin of that question and say, what am I doing wrong when it comes to following Jesus? Well, luckily for us, Jesus addresses that very thing in today's passage. But before we get into the passage, this is uh, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, the passage we're about to read. And so before we can fully understand and appreciate today's message from Jesus, we need to go back and look at everything that he's covered in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. So remember, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And through those chapters, Jesus does a lot of teaching. And so let me give you a very condensed, very brief summary of some of the things that he's covered. So at the very beginning of chapter five, Jesus begins to talk about what is commonly known as the Beatitudes. And so it's blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. And there's several of these. And it's this attitude, this this mentality, this approach to interaction with others 
that we're called to do in light of being a follower of Jesus. Then out of the Beatitudes, Jesus begins to talk about how we, as his followers, are to be salt of the earth and light, and how salt goes and brings the, the pleasant, salty taste to food. And in that illustration, we as followers are to bring a, a pleasant flavor to the world around us, that Jesus should be pleasant. Pleasant, uh, Jesus should be pleasurable and Jesus should be something that we desire after. Uh, then he shifts the illustration and begins saying that we're to be the light of the world. And in other words, we're, this world is in darkness and people desire to be in light, but sometimes in their sin, People are trapped in their darkness. And we, because we have Jesus, we can introduce them to Jesus, the light of the world. Then he moves into talking about many different areas of righteousness. In other words, living a right life for Jesus. And so he covers all of these subject matters, but if you were to look at all of them through the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, you would find out that Jesus is teaching that the way we think, the thoughts we have, the attitudes that we approach the world with are just as important as the actual actions that we do or the actual words that we say. And so Jesus is teaching that righteousness begins with our thoughts and our attitudes. It doesn't begin with what we do or say. It begins up here and in our heart. And so he teaches that to us. Then he moves into talking about loving our enemies and how love is the most important command in all of God's word. He actually goes into that topic two separate times in the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses it when talking about loving our enemies. And then he comes back to the subject uh, in chapter seven, where he says that love is treating others the way that we would wanna be treated. Then he goes into talking about valuing what is eternal rather than uh, valuing what is uh, affecting us here on this life when we're on earth. You know, it's this value of what is eternal and allowing that value to affect us wholly. Uh, it means that when we value eternity rather than this life on earth, we will deal with our fears and our worries and our anxieties in a godly way because our, our value, our treasure, our faith is not in the things of this world, this temporary existence here on earth, but rather our value, our treasure, our faith is in our eternal existence in heaven. And so he goes into speaking about that. And then when we jump into chapter seven, uh, the last third of the Sermon on the Mount, he introduces us to the idea that we're not called to judge and look down on others. And that, that all too many times we wanna cast judgment on some minor little thing that someone else is dealing with when we've got this huge thing that we haven't even addressed in our own lives. And that judging is not to be done that way. Then he comes back to the ideal idea of love and treating others the way that we would want to be treated. And that brings us to today's passage. So Matthew chapter 7, I want you to begin with me in verse 13. Now, 
there are two parts to what I'm about to do. So uh, we're going to read this passage, and I'll tell you right now, we're going to cover the first half of this passage today and the second half of this passage next Sunday. And so let's read verses 13 through 27. It says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works, mighty works by your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So, that's the teaching that we're going to focus on today and next Sunday. And so let's dive into this first section. You see, what he does is he presents right here four different options, four different illustrations of options that we have, whether following or not following Jesus. Now, before I go any further, let me remind you, he has just said that to love others is to treat them the way that you would want to be treated. So keep in mind, that is the context, that is the springboard that he has jumped off of into today's passage. He has told us to love others by treating them the way we would want to be treated. And then he gives us four sets of illustrations. Uh, and so each option presents one that is a true follower of Jesus and one that is a false uh, or not a follower of Jesus. Uh, and so let me just say this. I can't emphasize this enough. We should be paying very close attention to the words of this particular passage. Uh, we should be evaluating our own lives and, and the lives of the people that we allow to influence us through the eyes of this passage. This passage should be something we, could come, we should come back to on a regular basis as an evaluation tool of who we are 
and who we allow to speak into our lives. And so please, as you listen this morning, please keep that aspect in mind that this is Jesus telling us to evaluate our lives and the lives of those who influence us. So let's look at the verse, the the first section of the passage that we're looking at. So verse 13, it says this, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Uh, He's using two words here. He's using gates and ways. He's saying the gate and the path or the way to, that leads to life or to destruction, that, that gate or that, and that way are, are one or the other. And so way in the Greek or road, depending on your translation, basically means a path or a journey or a road that you go on. But gate in the Greek, which the New Testament, the book of Matthew and on to Revelation, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And the, wor- the Greek word for gate here in this passage did not mean a small gate that you might enter a yard. You know, when I think of a gate, I think of the, the gate that's on the side of my house that I have to open if I wanna get into my backyard from the front yard of my house. But that's not the type of gate that this word is referring to. This word is referring to the massive gates that would be in front of a city. You know, if you walked up to an ancient city in this day and time, it would be surrounded by these huge walls for protection. And at the front gate, there would be this huge, massive entrance, usually with two swinging gates that would open to you if you were allowed in. Now, of course, these gates had to be massive because people are bringing in uh, you know, tra- uh, trailer loads being pulled by animals. They're, they're bringing in large supplies and large animals and things like that. So these gates had to be really, really massive. They had to be very large. Plus, they had to be very strong to hold out anybody that was attacking the city. And so the word here in the Greek almost always refers to these massively huge gates. They were either on a city uh, or many times were at the entrance to a, a big, massive temple. And so that's the reference here. Jesus is playing with words uh, in this passage. He's building a word picture in our mind. And so he says uh, in 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate. And people go, wait, a gate is huge. What do you mean the narrow gate? And he immediately jumps in to the illustration for the gate is wide and the way is easy. And immediately the people would think, yeah, The city gate is wide and it's easy for a person to walk through. I can lead my entire herd of sheep through the gate to the city. So he says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Suddenly he's taken this word picture that he is building up in people's minds and he has now uh, built something that they understand. And now he's gonna flip it on its head. Listen to how he ends this illustration. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it 
are few. So Jesus has taken this picture of this huge city gate that you could lead a herd of sheep through and people go, yeah, city gate, massive, big, I can get through that. Oh, but that's the way of destruction. Destruction is easy to get through and the way of destruction is easy to travel on. But the way of life, the way of Jesus, the way is narrow and that gate is hard to get through. That gate is small and I have a hard time getting through it. And that pathway is narrow to go down. My wife and I love to go hiking, uh, my wife especially. Uh, and it's interesting, every time that I've gone on a hike, the very beginning of the hike is usually very easy. It's usually flat and the place we actually visit the most has a, a really wide sidewalk on it. So you start out, you're walking down this wide sidewalk and then suddenly the sidewalk ends. But the pathway, the, the dirt path, is still pretty wide and easy to navigate. But as you walk, that path suddenly gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And there comes a point as you walk most of these pathways that that path suddenly becomes very narrow and it's rocky and it's hard to walk on. Um, and so I think that is a great illustration or, or picture that we should put in our minds uh, of what it means to follow Jesus. You know, when Jana and I go on one of these hikes and we take our sons with us, um, we actually have to pay very, very close attention to our two and a half year old because there are times when that pathway is so narrow and so difficult to walk through that we need to walk with him and hold his hand because he can fall so easily on that difficult path. But the beginning of the path is a sidewalk. It's so easy and so wide. My son has no trouble going on that, but he has trouble when we get later on down that path. You see, following Jesus is not easy. It's not a piece of cake. If someone came to you when you knew, came to know Jesus and they said, oh yeah, being a Christian is the best thing in the world. It's super easy. Well, they're lying to you. Yes, it's the best thing in the world, but there's nothing about following Jesus that is easy. Following Jesus, uh, being a follower will be difficult. And let me be frank with us for just a moment. If your life as a follower is easy and comfortable and safe, you're doing it wrong. You're not following Jesus completely if your life is all about ease and comfort and safety because that's not what Jesus calls us to. Our life is a constant struggle on many fronts. First off, our life as followers of Jesus should be a constant struggle against temptation and sin. Every single person on the planet struggles with some set of sins. Uh, and that should be something that we are constantly fighting and praying for and, and asking for God's help and leaning in faith on his, his strength because we can't do it on our own. And if you're going, oh, my life is so easy, I don't have any temptations, and you may need to do some re-evaluating of your life. Now, will we go through times where we have uh, less struggle with our temptations and times in life where we have more struggles with our temptations? Yeah, of course. 
But overall, our life is a constant uh, watching out for and fighting against the temptations and struggles that our own hearts dwell up within us. Go read James chapter 1. And that we're tempted with from the outside uh, by the evil forces of this world. And so life is not easy, first off, because we're constantly fighting against temptations. But secondly, it's a constant struggle to love people the way that Jesus loved people. You know, I mentioned earlier that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands us to love our enemies, to pray for them, to bless them. But I'll be honest, and I think we can all, if we're all honest, it's hard to love our enemies. It's a struggle, it's a battle in our hearts and minds to love people that hate and persecute us. But that's what Jesus tells us to do because we were once his enemies and he forgave us, he gave us mercy and grace. And so we in turn with our enemies show them forgiveness and mercy and grace. But that's a struggle, that's a fight that we constantly battle against. Uh, we also have to battle against our selfishness. You know, we want to be selfish. We want to take care of ourselves. We want to be comfortable. And we have to be able to, to put that desire for comfort, comfort and ease and safety. Those, those things need to be put away so that we can live selflessly and sacrificially. You know, do we need to save up money and take care of our family financially? Yes, of course. Jesus is not saying that. But there is an extent to where if we are saving up money, but we're not honoring God or funding ministries or giving back to the community and showing the community that we love them and meeting the needs of the needy in our community, then we're missing the point of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Uh, and so if we live a life of uh, just lavish luxury with no care in the world and there's no sacrifice, that's the key. We can have wealth, we can have money, but if we are not living sacrificially at some point, we're missing the point of following Jesus. I'm not saying we all have to be poor or, or, or you know, live on the streets or, or just have enough to get by. What I'm saying is, is we need to evaluate the money, the resources, the time, everything that God's given us. And we need to ask God, what are you asking me to sacrifice? If your comfort, if your ease of life, if your safety is more valuable or more important to you than sacrificing for Jesus, then you're doing it wrong. You're missing the point of the life and the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. And so Jesus warns us here, the gate and the way to destruction are wide and easy, but the gate and the way that leads to life in Jesus is narrow and difficult. You know, I use the illustration that when my wife and I go on hikes and uh, we walk with my two and a half year old son, there are times when I have to reach down, I have to hold his hand to keep him from falling. Sometimes our lives in going down the road, the narrow, difficult road that Jesus has for us, sometimes we can't walk that road on our own and we need Jesus to hold our hand. Sometimes 
We need Jesus and his strength to get through life. And if your life is structured in a way where you don't need that faith in Jesus, then maybe it's time to stop and reevaluate what Jesus is calling you to do. So the gate and the way that leads to life is narrow and difficult. Let's look at the next passage. Starting in verse 15, he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly as ravenous as wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, but can a diseased tree bear good fruit? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is warning us about false prophets. Now, the Greek understanding of a prophet was anybody that spoke for somebody, whether it was speaking for in the name of a God or was speaking for um, a, a government leader or a, a culturally important person. Someone who spoke for them was considered a prophet. That was the word that was used. In today's day and time, it would be a preacher or a newscaster or some uh, celebrity that, that influences and speaks into uh, things that are believed within our culture. Jesus is warning us about who to listen to and who we allow to influence our mind, our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes. So let's understand for just a moment, there are false teachers out in this world. There are people who are teaching horrible doctrines, horrible teachings that are not biblical. Some of them claim to be speaking for Jesus. And some of them are just cultural people in the world that teach terrible things, whether it be a news anchor or a government official uh, or somebody who's famous that, that speaks into things. There are those out there who are not teaching God's word. Some are claiming to be believers in Jesus. Some are not. But how do we recognize a false teacher or a false prophet? Well, Jesus said that we're to recognize them by their fruit. So how do we know that a good teacher is not a liar and that a liar is not a good teacher? How do we make the distinguishing uh, definitions between those two characters, a good teacher or a liar? Well, he says that we will recognize the wolves from the sheep by their fruits. Healthy fruit is sign of a healthy tree. And bad fruit is sign of a diseased tree. He talks about you can't gather grapes from a thorn bush and you can't gather figs from thistles. In other words, a bad plant or tree or bush or whatever is not going to produce something that's good and delicious. They're only going to produce bad things. But what does Jesus mean by fruit? Well, he's talking about what is produced by that person's words and actions. So let me put this in perspective for just a moment here. When you listen to a preacher or a newscaster or a celebrity or a politician, 
When you're listening to this person, do they so hate or do they so love? In other words, are they encouraging divisiveness amongst people or are they encouraging love and care and compassion and empathy and patience and peace? You see, a godly person, a godly teacher, a godly prophet is going to teach and encourage people not to hate others, but to pursue the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, peace, kindness, all those things. So when you listen to them, do they sow hate or love the fruit of the Spirit? Do they spread lies or do they spread truth? And in this particular case, I'm not talking about truth being God's word, although they they need to do that as well. But I'm just talking about flat out truth. Like, do they lie all the time or do they speak truths? Do they spread lies all the time or do they spread truths? Uh, When you listen to this person, do they deceive people from the truth of God or do they drive people to the gospel of Jesus? You know, there are a lot of people out there claiming to be teachers of Jesus that aren't teaching the gospel. They aren't leading people to salvation. Now, when you listen to these people, do they encourage unrighteousness? Do they lead people to lawlessness? Or do they encourage people to have faith and obedience to Jesus? Do they teach things contrary to God's word or drive people closer to God's truth? Let me talk about people that you watch on TV. I mean, you're watching me right now. When you watch somebody on TV, do they live a life of righteousness or of lawlessness? In other words, uh, when they go and they live their lives away from the camera, do they live lives of purity uh, and righteousness or, or are they living a life that is not like the life of Jesus? Do they make people want to hear the gospel or they, do they drive people away from the gospel of Jesus? Because Jesus tells us we're supposed to be salt. Remember in Matthew chapter five. And so the idea here is that salt tastes good. We as followers of Jesus should live a life and the people we listen to and let influence us should live a life that is so beautiful, that's so pure, that's so righteous, that's so peaceful and loving that they want what we have. They will want Jesus because we live a life that looks like Jesus's life. Are they selfish and self-seeking or are they more concerned about the concerns and the lives and the safety and the needs of others? You see, Throughout God's word, we're taught to live a life of humility, to put others before ourselves, to never think of ourselves higher than someone else because we're not. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Do they live what they speak or are they hypocrites? Do they, when they say something, do their actions turn and reflect what they just told you? Or do they live a life contrary to the words that they use? This is fruit. This is what Jesus is talking about. What comes out of the mouth of the person that you're allowing to influence you? What are the actions 
that this person lives out? What are they encouraging others to do? Are they making people want to, to pursue, pursue the, the hope of Jesus? That's what fruit is. Whatever a person's life is actually producing spiritually. You see, in light of this, some of us need to stop listening to certain news stations or newscasters. Some of us need to take a step back from the constant political turmoil and divisiveness and hatred that is always going on in our country. Some of us need to take a break from social media, or maybe there's some things or people or pages that we follow that we need to stop following, if not permanently, at least for a little while. Because all they do is spread lies and hatred and discord amongst others. Whatever it is for you, take a slow evaluation and look at the fruit of those that you're allowing to influence your mind, your thoughts, your life, your actions, and your attitudes. Some of us have friends that maybe we need to stop spending so much time with because they are a negative influence on our mind and our heart. I don't know what it is for you. I know me recently, I have uh, spent far less time over the last several weeks on social media. I'm still on there and I still post and I still throw up a lot of controversy, but I don't spend hours. You know, I, I'll hop on for a little while here and a little while there and then I'm done with it. Now I'll admit, I have days where I sit and play on my device for far too long. But there are things that I allow into my mind and heart and things that I don't allow. Am I perfect at this? No. I'm just giving you some examples from my own life. But take a stop. Take a look at your life. What are you allowing in? Who are you allowing to speak and influence you? What, are you, what about you? Is your life walking that narrow and difficult road that Jesus leads us down? Or are you more concerned about your comfort and the ease of life and safety than you are about truly following Jesus? And what fruit is being produced by those that you listen to and allow to influence you? Those are the questions that are posed in this first half of the passage that we read today. And so we will come back next week and we will read the next two illustrations that Jesus sends to us and continue to evaluate, looking hard in the mirror at our own lives and evaluating what we need to do to be better followers of Jesus. Will you listen to the advice that Jesus gives us here? Will you take a careful look in the mirror and ask yourself, Jesus, or ask Jesus, what do I need to change in my life to not only produce better fruit and walk that narrow, difficult way? And who do I need to be listening to and who do I not need to be listening to? Will you ask those questions this week? I encourage you to do so. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us so much clarity on what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus and who we're supposed to be listening to as followers of Jesus. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would help us to truly take this to heart, that we would stop and take a careful examination of our 
actions, our thoughts, our words, the influences that we have around us, that we would examine all of those aspects of life and we would truly be willing to make the changes that you call us to make. Help us to recognize the ravenous wolves that are in our lives, those that are out to destroy us rather than build us up and help us to produce good fruit. We thank you, Lord, that you walk with us, that you help us, that you guide us through your Holy Spirit. And we ask for that guidance this coming week. We thank you again. And we pray all of this in our loving Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.